with the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Jets select Speech. It's Garrett Wilson. It's been a weird day in Jets land as we come back to turn on the Jets draft season. The Jets almost traded for one of the most electrifying players in the the NFL, but he's a Miami Dolphin. We kept our picks, so now we have more players to talk about. So I'm very excited about that. But Joe, we're back. Bit of a crazy day. How are you feeling? I'm doing well, man. I'm pumped for today. We got one of our favorite draft guys with us, Connor Rogers. So I'm I'm really excited to see what we have planned and how it's going to go. It should be awesome. James, I know you went through a whirlwind of emotions today, but where is your head at uh, as we speak tonight? No, I mean, I'm excited for tonight's discussion. I think we're going to be able to dig into some really interesting subjects, so I'm excited. Yeah, and you def- I can definitely tell. Dylan, I know, got some you know, big big plans tonight, big discussions. You know, the free agency is basically over. We kind of know what all the needs are. Uh, you know, what are you expecting? No, I'm, I'm excited for tonight's conversation. I'm excited to uh, pick Connor's brain a little bit about some pretty poignant questions that I know we've all talked about and I think the fan base has as well. So I think it'll be a fun episode, especially now that we kind of have a clearer picture of where uh, the Jets' needs are and what everything's kind of looking like going into the draft. Yeah, but uh, we are lucky enough to be joined by a guy who's very busy. He is the host of uh, the Badlands Pockets with our own Joe Caparoso. He's now the host of the NFL Stock Exchange with Trevor Sekma, which is a new podcast that you guys should be listening to because I genuinely love listening to both those guys, as well as being BR's main draft analyst, Connor Rogers. How are you? Good, guys. Good to be back on. How are you guys doing? Good. What a day for Good. this, huh? Like, Yeah, no, really nothing happened. Just basic draft talk. Well, you and I, Meeks, were joking that, well, in a sense, that if uh, the Jets did trade for Tyree Kill, the Badlands draft guide would have been, you know, sawed in half, essentially, if they did trade <laughs> three of their yeah. best picks. It would have been like, okay, this is the draft guide for the two top ten selections. Here's here's eight players for you, or whatever it may have been. But no, we are, we are back at it, and uh, it's going to be another long five weeks. Yes, definitely will be. I, you know, a little bit of me, you know, just finding all those day three gems and just combing through them would have been interesting, but I'm happy we get like the full canvas of this draft, which is a fun draft. But James, uh, I know we haven't had an edge rusher in this franchise and which seems like forever. I know you got a bunch of edge questions for Connor, so I'll let you kick it off. Do you guys remember when John Abraham played? James has no idea who that is. I certainly remember because I'm probably the oldest guy on here. Yeah, I remember John Abraham and Sean Ellis just tearing stuff up. And obviously we traded him away, but we got Mick Mangled out of that trade, if I remember correctly. Right. So I believe that was what the first rounder was used on. That is pretty wild that we were at the point where, I mean, reasonably aged fans of this franchise have not seen a legitimate edge pass rusher. It's just getting pressure with four is just, a, just I, I, I generally know what it looks like when you watch the Jets play. Yeah, I mean, I think John Aram was born, or not born. He was drafted the year before I was born. So it has been a while. But super psyched to, to kind of talk edge. I guess I'll kind of throw out a few thoughts, Connor, and then I'll end it with like a question or two. And you kind of choose where you want to take this. But it seems like the current state of edge for the Jets is you have Kayvon Thibodeau, who everybody loves, but clearly the NFL is much lower on than public consensus. On the other hand, you have guys like Trevon Walker, who, you know, in his case, he's the second most athletic edge of the last 20 years, but he doesn't really have much right now as a pass rusher. And then you obviously have somebody like Jermaine Johnson, 
who is a very complete player, uh, but is also two years older than guys like Walker and Thibodeau. So I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on, number one, who do you think the Jets' top non-Aiden Hutchinson edges, uh, just kind of based on what you're hearing and your intuition? And then what would be the rationale for, I, I know there's been like a lot of momentum behind Jermaine Johnson lately. What would be the rationale behind taking him above Thibodeau? And like, is it the fact that even though he's two years older, he is, he's more skilled and he's more pro ready right now. Like, could you kind of outline that for us a little bit? Yeah, I'll start with the former part. I, I think it would be between Thibodeau and Johnson. So it's good that you took the conversation there. I think with Trayvon Walker, number one, I'm the, this week I have, you know, really tried to dive into picks two and three, and I don't think he's going to be there at four, which for me is a blessing. Um, I, I'm Trayvon Walker is like my 22nd ranked player. I, I can't believe we've gotten here. I, this is a league that always bets on traits, but we're at the point where, and maybe it's because the class is a little flat in terms of, you know, in, in superstar talent at areas that gets everybody fired up, like Jamar Chase last year, obviously the quarterbacks, and Kyle Pitts. Like, this class doesn't have that. So maybe that's why Trayvon Walker has entered the conversation as early as being a top three pick. And, and you know, when you look at him, he's a really good run defender. He's built in a lab. Um, he plays, you know, with a lot of fire, but he doesn't know how to rush the passer. And, and I just, that it's that simple. I don't really think you need to, you know, there's not bend, there's not twitch, there's not a plan. There's not, and, and you know, there's people that are, are projecting him to d develop into this double digit sack monster at the NFL pretty quickly, uh, be, based on usage. They're like, oh, well on Georgia, he wasn't used the way where he was put in that position. And I'm like, okay, so he's the first guy being drafted out of the national championship Georgia team. And, and if that happens, like, whatever, that's fine. I think he's my third or fourth-ranked Georgia player, and that he's a good player. But for the Jets specifically, like, if the Lions and Texans take him, I, I get the rationale. But with the Jets, I do not get that rationale because you have Carl coming back off of injury, and you need somebody across from him that knows how to rush. And... I think that leads to the Jermaine Johnson conversation, right? I think Jermaine Johnson knows how to rush on a level that I would compare to a good NFL player. That's how advanced he is. It's um, it's almost like he got so confident this year. He started to try out things that most guys at that level have no business trying out. The spin move against Aquanu, to me, and I think Meigs, I've sent it to you, uh, you know, on the coach's tape. Sure, he doesn't get the sack, but he sends the quarterback flying up into the pocket. Um, and just the fact that he did that against a player of the caliber of a Kwanu, it's everything. It's it's the two-handed swipe. It's the ability to turn the corner. It's the long arm, the speed, the power, the cross your face. There's nothing that guy can't do. And then when you look at guys that are that advanced as rushers in college, they're usually sacrificing energy against the run. And he's the opposite. He sets a hard edge against the run. He takes pride in playing against the run. You know, I got to talk to him at the combine and I was just like, what the hell happened this year? Like, what did you, you know, why did this happen? And what, why did you like the position you were put in at Florida state so much? And he's like, I asked, you know, I came in with a plan there. I told them I was going to give them everything I had, but I just wanted to play off the tackles outside shoulder, whether that's five tech, whether that's nine, we know how much that's going to impact the jets front four. That's what I want to do. They let me do that. And I got to eat. And, and it was funny to me because I told him, like, I've seen you win on the inside. And he's like, yeah, but I like to eat from off the tackle shoulder. So I think all of that being said, because I love Thibodeau, and Thibodeau is my second-ranked player in the draft, only behind Aquanu, I think Jermaine comes in, and he's, he's a high-caliber player. And 
they love the person. The per I mean, it's the only podium I couldn't walk away from from start to finish. I like to bounce around and hear from everyone. That one, I'm going to stand here until the end. He's self-aware. He's confident. He's not necessarily cocky, but he's extremely, extremely confident. Uh, and he's a grown man. And I think sometimes we use the age thing as a negative. I know I do. I'm a, ha a creature of habit of doing that. But in his case, when you're polished at 23, that's a good, like, you're good. You're coming in the NFL and you're like, no, we need to get you better at this, this, and this. Like Trayvon Walker, for instance, it's great that he's young. He has no idea how to rush the passer. With Jermaine Johnson, you know he could he could do literally anything you ask him to with his hand in the dirt, whether it's setting a hard edge, whether it's rushing, stunts, twist, everything. So that's the rationale behind the hype of him as a top 10 pick. With Kayvon, it's somewhere in the middle, right? Maybe he's not as polished as Jermaine. He's more polished than Trayvon by a mile. That explosive nature is special in a sense that, you know, he really reminds me of Brian Burns with a bigger ceiling because there's more power there. I think there's more raw power there with Kayvon. Uh, I think he explodes off the ball. I think he's got the power. I think he can bend. I don't know why everybody thinks he's a stiff all of a sudden now. There are a lot of people think he doesn't have flexibility. Sure, he's not Von Miller. I, maybe that's why. Maybe people wanted him to be Von Miller and nobody's Von Miller. So I look at Kayvon Thibodeau and see somebody that can truly be a 14-sack kind of presence that just dominates off the edge. Uh, but you might have to let that marinate for a year or two. And that leads to the question that everybody's trying to answer. Is that going to work? Is he a guy that's going to buy in? Is he a guy that's going to take to coaching? Is he a guy that is going to truly live this game the way we want our players to live this game? And... It's hard for anyone in this, on this, anyone in media to really answer that. So you could just rank what you see on tape with Kayvon and the testing. Uh, I'm a believer in him, but I, I get why coaches might be comfortable with higher floors like Aiden Hutchinson and Jermaine Johnson because you don't want to be the person that got up to the plate and, and struck out totally instead of hitting a double. Yeah, no, I think you really nailed that perfectly. I know KT has been a hot button issue on this podcast between all of us. And I think, you know, it's much easier to make the bigger swing when you're not in the chair. But you brought up a guy, you've been steadfast saying that if he's there at four, uh, Iki Aquanu is going to be a New York Jet. And now there was a lot of buzz from Charles Cross this week about him playing right tackle. The two teams he's spoken to most have been the two New York teams. So I guess my real question, because I really like Charles Cross, I really do think like his pass protection is yeah. special in regards to just Makai Becton's the question mark. And we know that he is as prospects, even with, you know, cause we always have taken how we know with Makai, how high level do you think Charles Cross, Neil, Naquanu are compared to like the Slater, the Sewell, and then the big four from 2020 in these past three years? It's a good question. And I surprisingly have not been asked to compare it to last year, only two years ago. Um, I agree with you. I think Cross is the best pass protector in the draft, which is really saying something, because Evan Neal is really good, and Aquanu is getting so much. His improvement from 2020 and 2021 shows you that he's he's going to be really good there. Like, it's all coming together at an alarming rate. And then with Cross, he's just not the run blocker Aquanu is, or even Neal is right now, and he can definitely get there because he possesses that kind of uh, you know, physical profile. So I think with them, you know, it's funny. I remember when the Jets were on the clock at 11 uh, and I was live for BR, I was like, oh, they're going to take Tristan Wirfs, right? Like, and I think I kind of got in my own head of what I evaluated because I thought Wirfs was the second best tackle in that class and he was ended up being the fourth one taken. I was like, they're going to take Tristan Wirfs. I think I said it live on the show and they took Becton. And 
it's it's kind of goes back to the conversation we just had risk reward the reward with becton was in some guy's eyes not mine but i i get it you know the closest thing to trent williams that you can find right just a guy that is truly paving highways in a way that there is nothing you can do he's too big he's too strong he's too fast and the funny thing with becton is on his rookie season he is still was still really raw and pass pro but it didn't matter because he's so long and he's so big that it's like it's trying to get out of like when a batter is up to bat and the shadow is on them from the sun like becton has that kind of shadow you just can't get out of it and so i understood that risk but the weight and conditioning and injuries for a man that size are a significant risk and here we are two years later it's all we're talking about with Makai Becton and they probably wish they took Tristan Orves so here we are again with a draft that there are three great tackles Sewell was the highest one out of all of them for me I love Sewell um I think the Lions did him a disservice by moving him he did not look comfortable and then when he played on the left side he looked great I really did like Slater too I had Sewell as a top five player I had Slater I think as a top 10 player i'd have to go check that and then the year before that for me it was wills Worfs, thomas and becton um and then you stack them up this year those guys are right in the thick of it right they're not going to be as high as sewell for me but they're right in the middle of that pack i would say aquanu is is behind sewell for me he's the he's i would say the second best tackle i've ever evaluated quentin nelson's the best offensive lineman i've ever evaluated but and I think when you look at it like that, you know, that's why I've, I struggle with this conversation because people are like, how could you mock Aquanu at four? How is that, you know, it's not making the Jets that much better when they have Becton. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't look at it the way, like, I'm not Joe Douglas. I didn't pick Becton. And I, on the record, that I wouldn't have picked Becton. And it's not even a knock on him. It's just the situation. Aquanu is a, almost a full round better to me than Becton. So I look at the situation that you can get a much better player that is a better scheme fit for you that the coaches will clearly like because they took him and they didn't take Becton. And every time they speak about Becton, it's kind of obvious how they feel. It's tough. It sucks, but it's pretty obvious. And then if you can get an asset back for Becton, that's respectable. So Joe Douglas could save face. You do it. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Then there's the flip side of this to put a bow on this. Maybe they're putting it out so much that they like Becton because they want somebody to come up to four and trade for him. They could still get the pass rusher they like. They could still get the receiver they like at 10. And then they have extra draft capital. But I don't know. I, I think if there's anything, you know, I think Robert Sala and the staff are on the same page with Joe Douglas and his team. But I think if there's anything on the table that there's a little divide on, I think it's Makai Becton and, and the fact that they are, unfortunately, one more injury from him, which would be the third year in a row of him getting banged up for your young quarterback getting killed because they don't have a Morgan Moses this year. And I don't know when people are going to realize that. There's no savior on the bench anymore for that. Yeah, I guess my one Econo uh, question for you is just he would be making the transition to right tackle, and obviously that's going to come with the same thing that Beckton would have to do because I don't know how many times we'd say Jets fans that George Fan is going to play left tackle. Like, it's just happening, and they're not trading him. He's not the smokescreen. The coach said it. <laughs> the coach said it. So there it is. I mean, I, I assume fans the left tackle. Um I actually think Becton, I actually think Aquanu can be even a better right tackle. And, and maybe it's it's the transition. I know there is a lot of 
you know, questions about moving sides. And, you know, maybe in pass pro, which is still work in progress for him anyway, in terms of he's good, he's not great, uh, where Cross is great. You know, maybe there will be a little transition there, but I think you can align... Number one, he'd be next to a veteran, right? I think people like people don't think about these things, and I get it because it's like boring nerd football stuff. Playing next to ABT versus playing next to Lake and Tomlinson is a little different. A ABT was great last year, but he had his bumps. But if you have a veteran and fan next to ABT, and then a veteran in Lake and Tomlinson next to your rookie right tackle in Aquanu, in this situation, I know people are not enjoying this that are are on the how can we move on from Beckton? I'm just trying to break down a situation that goes a long way. It. it not only balances you out with young versus veteran, but it balances you out in terms of the shift of your offensive line. Like, everybody was so excited about Becton and ABT on the left side, and I was too, and it's like, run behind them all day. But it was pretty obvious that's what they were going to do compared to GVR and George Fan on the right side. So you need to be balanced in the NFL, um, and I think that would obviously give them... Man, if, if they had ABT on the left side and Aquanu on the right side, I would say in three years, they have two top eight run blockers in the NFL. And I don't know. It's not even like hyperbole. I think I say that confidently. Yeah. Our, our very own Joe Bella keeps talking about how the right tackle is made for your ideal run blocking tackle. Yep. So this is, this is right up his wheelhouse. I know he's got a big question for you, Joe. So go ahead. Yeah. I mean, as far as Aquano, it's pretty simple for me when it comes to him. If you expect Fant and Becton to both be with the Jets long-term, you don't draft Icky. Yep. If you don't expect them both to be here, Aquanu is the correct choice to pick for. That's just kind of the way I'm rationalizing it. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Like, because when, when it comes down to it, GMs don't draft in a one-year nutshell, right? I, I guess, you know, the Chiefs might, the Packers might, the Bengals might, like, legitimate, like, top five Super Bowl contenders might. But the New York Jets and all those teams in the top 15, basically, do not draft that way. And, and I know it's kind of hard for fans to wrap their head around because they're sick of losing. We all are. But the, they just, they don't draft that way. Yeah, we've been lockstep with the Waquanu thing, Connor, so I'm, I'm right there with you in that regard. But let's pivot here for a second. Amidst all of this edge, wide receiver, and offensive line talk, running back has been somewhat lost in the discourse. And considering this offense is predicated on running the ball, I think it's something we should be talking a little bit more about. I've been pretty vocal on the pod about bringing in someone like Melvin Gordon, and I'm glad you guys mentioned him on Spaces today. I thought that was great. I just don't know if Joe Douglas is really going to make a move like that. So... First, what do you think about the Jets running back room as presently constructed? Second, what players in particular would you be targeting in the draft to complement Michael Carter if they don't address him in free agency? And how early would you take a running back in that scenario? It's kind of funny, right? Like they, they've officially reached the phase of they've built this like supercar or they want to build the supercar and they have no drivers. Like, and, and we all like Michael Carter. Like, that's great. But it's, you know, and we're all on Twitter a lot, and we're in the analytics era, and we're generally young guys. You, you know, me probably being the oldest still. I'm 30 years old. Like, I don't completely un devalue running backs, right? They still, like, matter in a sense of you can't just go out there with bare-bones shit. Like, you need players that are good. So it's kind of funny to me how we've reached the full circle of, like, yeah, you don't need to draft Leonard Fournette fourth overall, but you also don't need to, like – build a running back room of like a fourth round pick, a UDFA, a seventh rounder, Tevin Coleman. So it's a weird balance, right? I, with the Jets, they have so much money that I'm a big fan of knocking off needs where I would just, if Melvin Gordon could come in at a price that is not, it's not going to be a long-term running backs. Don't get that kind of money anymore. Uh, Mid-tier running backs don't. I, I would rather knock off that need with the veteran. 
Because when you rely on a rookie, you do corner yourself a little bit. Where what if he's not ready? Not everybody is, you know, not everybody makes a seamless transition to the NFL, no matter how simplified the position is. And it, it does feel like they're looking at the draft, which is exciting in a sense that, like, this class is deep enough. That's fine. It's a little disappointing in a sense of this should be easier. Like, you can go out and get a veteran that's, you know, I, I thought bringing back Talbot, Tevin Coleman was fine as a number three or even a number four. And let's be real. They want to run the hell out of the ball. Michael Carter's body is not built for that. He And it, he's a great 1B in your backfield. But they they kind of did this with Elijah Moore last year, right, where they wanted to manufacture touches to him, and that's great. But you realize when you're a small team, you are going to take injuries on. So I look at this class and think they got to get get one of these big-bodied guys. Like, they're not going to be, I don't think, in the conversation to take Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, uh, Isaiah Spiller, which I don't even think would be a really good fit anyway, but I, I really like Damian Pierce, honestly. I think for a bigger guy, he's more scheme-proof than I expected when watching him. I think the short area burst is pretty good. Uh, I love his pass protection, which this team does not have. They don't have a real pass protector in the backfield. I think that he runs very violent. He reminds me of David Montgomery in terms of his running style. So I, I like Pierce. I like Tyler Algier a lot. He's a little bit more north-south than what they're used to, um, but he's another one loves loves to kill and pass pro really good long speed the familiarity with zach is obviously an added bonus and all this i think they need one of these 215 220 pound guys that can i mean the jets got to start winning games and win games you got to close out games and, and we love michael carter and we like tevin coleman for what he is like if you're up two scores and you're running you're going run run pass or even run 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 on drives are you just handing the ball to those guys over and over again until they're beat to hell you need a guy that can withstand that kind of wear and tear and and that's why i think in in you know probably that round four to five range is where they look they have some draft capital there uh to get one of those guys but it would be it would it would be a lot more comforting to have melvin gordon in that spot as well yeah i couldn't agree more and i think meigs and i have been kind of like lockstep in the fact that we feel like michael carter is more of that one b and they kind of have to find that one a and he was at college. Like, people don't remember. Like, Michael yeah, Carter was, was my running back one. He was very good. Yeah, and he's going to be a top five back in the NFL next year. Like, it's okay for guys to be what they are, not try to always make them something more. And I, I think the Jets realize that, though. I don't think they're expecting Michael Carter to be, you know, like the new age Curtis Martin in yeah. any sense. I have some fear about them finding that guy on day three. So, I mean, if they actually went as early as the third round, I would not complain. I actually do like Spiller. I feel like he's a bit of a better zone runner than Gaps. So I think that he could fit. I know yeah. he's not a long speed people covet, but I mean, his change of direction, his stop start ability is absolutely ridiculous. So I think that would be a pretty cool pick in that range. I think you actually mocked him one time to the Jets as well, Connor, in that spot. Which everybody was like, oh, he's not going to make it to the third. And now we're through the combine phase and everyone's like, oh, do we want him in the third? Yeah, right. <laughs> Funny how things go. Nobody ever cares about that. Yeah, I think people are paying a little bit too much attention to that long speed. It's more about play speed, athletic ability, and mental processing. And Isaiah Spiller knows how to create. He's absolutely great in those zone situations. So I would love him on this offense. And I mean, as far as the run game and just in general, I don't think this offense is going anywhere if they can't run the ball. So just asking you, in what range do you think their like rush DVOA needs to be next year to get this overall offense clicking? It's a good question. I don't have an exact number to throw at you, but I think it, they need to be, in a sense, a team that dictates football games in a way where it's almost like what New England did to them up in Foxborough last year, where it was, this, and, you know, the Eagles obviously did to them, where 
you're dictating their game and the run so much that it's opening up the pass and giving your quarterback a chance to take shots to the weapons and teams aren't selling out like it's you need to be respected at some point and one of the easiest ways you develop respect in the nfl is if you can run the football because then teams have to sit back a little bit they have to read a little bit more they have to contain a little bit more you can't over blitz because you might over blitz the run um and in a sense that it just opens up everything it's really the secret sauce to it's a domino effect in a sense that it opens up everything so you know i want to spend the summer and really dive into what they did last year and how they can build on it this year schematically because there was a lot of games they were out there with bad players trying to dictate the run game and like even like duvernay tardif for what he was as an upgrade he almost got like anointed as this like savior and it goes to show you if they had even average to above average at that position that this run game can go so i just think it's a situation where it's where everything starts and ends with this football team it's how they should open games it's how they should close games and i think when you have that kind of run game it's gonna let zach play a little bit more loose and free and take shots down on the field because maybe you can get yourself out of situations where you're not three and out you're not backed up every drive you are you can take more risks down the field throwing because guys are cheating up you're not seeing too high safety looks over and over and over again you know and teams are flooding the field with dbs uh because you have that kind of threat where your front five or with this team realistically it's going to be at least six with the additions they made at the tight end spot or i've been running a joke that if they draft a Quanu and keep becton they're going to play a six-man line um but Becton at fullback. Yeah, Becton at fullback, Becton at tight end, whatever it may be. But the fact is, it just it changes everything you could do. And they know that. That's what they want to be. They paid Lake and Tomlinson a lot of money. Um, they are going to run the football to the point of probably annoying fans. But it's a way to keep your quarterback healthy. It's a way to keep him loose. It's a way to keep the ball out of the opposition's hands when you're playing Josh Allen, when you're playing all these teams. Uh, so it's it's the vital component for them. Yeah, I mean, the best thing for Zach Wilson is if the Jets running game is so good, they're forcing these defenses to play single high, just open up that play action game and just see the young guy thrive. You know, that's that's that should be the plan, right? Yeah, less thinking. I mean, just for, you know, conversation's sake, if there's a Drake London or Jamison Williams in this offense or Traylon Burks, whoever it is, I I mean, those guys can win one on ones in different ways. So are they going to get them right? Because you're going to have Corey Davis and Elijah Moore out there, uh, the tight ends that could play. There, it just the run game changes everything you could do because we saw Zach so much in college. Take he would take advantage of one-on-one matchups with his ball placement. He's like, okay, I know you're covered, but I'm gonna put the ball only where you can get the ball. You can't do that in the NFL when you know somebody might be bracketed, somebody might be sitting on the zone and just reading you the whole way because they don't respect you up front. They they think that you're they're like our front four is gonna beat you in pass pro. And our front four is going to not allow you to run. And once that happens, you can't do anything. You literally can't. I don't care if it's Zach Wilson back there. I don't care if it's Josh Allen back there. You can't do anything playing football that way. And that's why you're seeing so much of their offseason be allocated to that. They paid two tight ends, two guys that play in line a ton, a lot of money. They played Lakin Tomlinson a lot of money. I mean, it's where they're allocating a lot of their resources so far. Steve Ruiz has this really funny meme of Kyle Shanahan with the microscope, just putting linebackers and blenders. And I really hope Michael Flores starts adapting that because it's time the Jets have actually an exciting offense. 
I, and it, the funniest thing is they did that to Logan Wilson last year when Mike White played. Oh, yeah. The whole game, <laughs> like he was targeted, I believe, 13 or 14 times in the game. The whole game was, okay, Michael Carter's one-on-one with Logan Wilson. And it worked. And it just goes to show you that if you can find these isolations, that that's that's what they're going to look to do. But that's a respect you have to earn, and it's it's very difficult to pull off. All right, yeah, I think we're going to transition to Dylan because I know he's been dying to get his rapid-fire questions. And so, Connor, I hope you're ready. He's really worked hard on this. All right, Dylan, let's <laughs> let's fire away. Dylan, are you in the Yankees clubhouse right now? I'm trying to figure out this, this scene. I'm actually in a Penn State dorm room to Michael Megan's disdain. So yeah, uh, I make a lot of Penn State jokes. He doesn't really like them. It's a big uh, PSU versus OSU rivalry that's kind of formed on the pod. But uh, no, All not right. in the clubhouse. All right. Well, Obviously, today was crazy. Now we are going to be going against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and then whoever the Patriots trot out there. So after Sauce and Stingley, who are the next three corners in your rankings to kind of get give the fan base a feel of where the Jets could go in that regard? I mean, definitely Trent McDuffie. I love McDuffie. I thought it was not an easy conversation for me ranking him versus Stingley, but Stingley will end up Higher than him as it stands right now, I believe. Um, let's pull up this old big board that is ever-growing. Yeah, so like you said, Sauce for me is at 7. Um, I actually do have McDuffie right now at 14 and Stingley at 18. It's just totally different. It's like it's risk, right? Like, I did this with Caleb Farley last year. I've done this every year, and I was burned by it for so long. And last year was the first year where I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I made Caleb Farley, I think, the third or fourth corner in the class. He's as talented as anyone. But it just doesn't matter if you if you're not able to play. It's it's awful to say. You feel bad for the guy. But with Stingley, that's the reality right now. Where he's worth the gamble because he's so damn talented. But it's a tough one. And then for me, after that, there is a bit of a fall off. Right? You you go all the way down to 32 overall. Kyer Elam, press man corner. Uh, I don't think he would fit the Jets at all in any sense. I actually think he fit New England really well. But a press man corner showed he has the long speed. Loves throwing his hands to the line of scrimmage. He is not a good tackler at all right now. So as as high as I have him ranked, he's a really bad scheme fit for what the Jets do. Uh, and then Kyler Gordon, who's a really good scheme fit, honestly. he They use their eyes so much at Washington. They're probably the best developed college corners in a sense of using their eyes. Um, and, and I really I like Kyler Gordon's ascension right now in terms of the kind of player he could be at the NFL level for what he's flashed. But, you know, that's a mid-second round kind of selection right here. That would be 38, and and I have him at 42. Uh, Roger McCreary, who I think is going to have to play in the slot at the next level, so that kind of takes his chances out. And then Andrew Booth at 54, another guy that's it's you know kind of being banged up and lacks discipline, but probably has a higher ceiling than the last couple of guys I mentioned and is a little bit more scheme-diverse uh, in a sense. And then, you know, it, it starts to fall off a cliff a little bit. James is going to unleash some uh, Fuego takes on you about Andrew Booth if uh, if Booth ends up panning out on you. But I think Meeks would be very happy if somehow Kyler Gordon or Trent McDuffie end up being the Jets. But uh, my next one here for you is who are your top three single high safeties in the class? I know this pod has gotten very far on the Daxton Hill train in recent weeks with uh, Joe Bella kind of heading that train up. I mean, Hamilton is like the no brainer. He could play anything. And I ironically i guess i'm like the lowest on hamilton i have him eighth overall i he's a really good player he's a great player he could do a lot of different things for you he's not ed reed you know he's not sean taylor um he's just a really good player and it's crazy to see a guy that's like six four 
that has that kind of sideline to sideline range to play that single high role. It's, you know, it's the length is a little bit like Justin Simmons in a sense, and he's bigger. He carries a lot more weight than Justin Simmons. You know, my next safety overall would be a Lewis scene. I don't think I'd play him in a single high role. I actually love him running down the alley. Um, I think he's better in coverage than people realize because it's really boring film when you're watching a guy like sit in a two shell and things like that, where it's like, okay, but he could do it. Uh, he's a great athlete. Dax Hill is my third safety overall, and he would be the guy after Hamilton that I'd probably want in that single high role. It's just, you know, the different kind of body type. I actually like him in the slot the best. I think he's excellent in the slot. And, and then you get down to Jaquan Brisker, who I'm sure, Dylan, you are very well aware of, uh, and Jalen Petrie. A lot of these guys do their best work close to the line of scrimmage, which is kind of interesting. You know, for me, at least the safeties I like. Like, after that is Brian Cook, who played everywhere for Cincinnati. His, his uh, snaps are split evenly. Verone McKinley, who's quietly a very nice player. And then Kirby Joseph might be in that conversation for the top three single high safeties, but it's just underwhelming. It's just a, ma- a fact of not really making a ton of plays, in my opinion, that are you know going to translate to the NFL level. So he's got the range more so than a lot of those other guys I mentioned, but uh, he's not the same caliber tackler and doesn't have the same caliber instincts. Yeah, I like Kirby Joseph. We talked about him on the pod a lot. I think him and uh, McKinley both have pretty high ceilings if somehow they could put it all together. But I like that you included a little brisker love there, but definitely Petrie. I think that's someone that unanimously the four of us on the pod have really liked throughout the uh, pre-draft. Petrie reminds me of Jordan Whitehead. And like I thought that before the Jets signed Jordan Whitehead. So I'm just like, all right, a player I really like for the Jets, they just sign in the more complete (laughs) version in free agency. So it's probably not happening. We'll see if they can find their uh, ideal single high safety that isn't named Ashton Davis. So that would be the end goal for this draft class. But kind of more of a general draft question for you here would be, who's one player you could see getting drafted a lot higher than most people are kind of expecting right now, based on kind of what you're hearing around the league? I mean, is Trayvon Walker top three a surprise anymore? You could be honest with me. I think he's going top three. Uh, Trevor Penning being in the top 10 makes no sense, but I think it's going to happen. I wouldn't be shocked if Penning goes at least top 20. I have him 38th overall. Uh, Bernard Raymond will be overdrafted. I like Tyler Smith, but once again, I have him 34th overall. He's going in the top 25. So I, I think those are the guys that you're looking at. Um, man, I, the edge rushers have gotten weird. Like, I think Mafe and maybe Bikiti. I don't know, but definitely Mafe feels like he's going in the first round when for the longest time he was like the fun second round guy with all the tools. So all the fun gets ruined. Uh, those are the guys, though, that I think are, are you know, surprised on. And people shouldn't be surprised by this one, but I think Travis Jones sneaks into the first round as well. I agree with that. Big fan. Connor, have you heard that Cam Jurgens might go before Tyler Lindenbaum? No, I've not heard that, and I wish I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think it came from Daniel Jeremiah on the NFL Network. I was pretty shocked myself. Apparently, people have fallen in love with Michael Megan's Cam Jurgens. He's yeah, testing. I mentioned three weeks ago. And His then testing's it's... been wild. The thing with Linderbaum that I always get the conversation from other people, and I just look at them like they're a total idiot in the league, is that he's not the size everybody wants him to be. And I'm just like, it doesn't ever matter. Um, yeah, I think I, I should have answered the reverse of your last question. I think Linderbaum goes a lot later than people think. Imagine if Linderbaum's there at 35. Oof. Oh God! Uh, see, this, 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 is, this is where my takes are going to catch up to me because that's where like <laughs> earliest I drafted my answer was 35. I'll say this. I, if you asked me that four months ago, I would have said 0%. Don't ever ask me that question again. We sit here at the end of March. I'll put it at 10%, Yeah, which is very high percent, yeah. considering how insane that is. He is my 
fifth overall player in the draft. So he's a no-brainer pick at 35 if he's there? No-brainer. Absolutely. No it'd be the Creed, it's Creed Humphrey all over again. Like, why yeah. is this guy falling this far? Oh, shocking. He was probably a top three rookie in the NFL last year, and now he's our center for the next 10 years. I know you're making uh, Joe Bellick and I very happy right now with that Linderbaum take. And apparently uh, James Coons, who all of a sudden is a Tyler Linderbaum lover in recent weeks. But uh, kind of moving forward here, what's more important for the Jets, in your opinion? Obviously, it's kind of felt like it's gotten zeroed in on two spots in the first round, unless uh, they end up kind of going with Aquanu or Cross. But do you see edge or receiver being more important if they decide maybe even to go with Aquanu at four and then kind of having to zero in on one of these two really important spots at 10? I don't think there's a real answer to that. I don't think either unit can function without the other in a sense that it's pretty simple to me, and a lot of people think this is complicated, but it's not. If you take a quantum at four, and then you take, say, a wide receiver at 10, or t- we'll say the edge to make this argument a little easier. You, you take the the edge at 10, you better trade your ass up and go get the wide receiver. Like, there, I, there's no other way around it. You failed if you don't do that. I don't, like, it's not very complicated. It's not like, a lot of people like to bring up these Madden scenarios and all these, you know, this one's really not complicated. You have 35, you have 38, you have 69, you have a full arsenal of picks next year. If you took a Quanu at four, I think somebody would want Becton. Like, the Raiders don't have a right tackle, the Broncos don't have a right tackle. Both those teams are going for a Super Bowl this year. Um, it's just There's just no excuse, honestly. It's you get creative or, or get fired. That's the league. It happens to everybody. Get creative or get fired, and... You have all this ammo. What did, what did you acquire it for if you're just going to sit there? So I think you got to come away with both. I guess to really answer the question, to be fair, though, I think you'd have to take the wide receiver because you can sell it like we paid Carl, we paid JFM, we like Huff, we like Jacob Martin as a situational guy. Like, it's going to work this year. It just, we caught bad luck last year. With receiver... You cannot be one more Corey Davis or Elijah Moore injury away from Jeff Smith. Like, you can't do Like, that one, to me, looks a lot worse than the other one. Yeah, at the point in the season where I see Jeff Smith as one of the starters, that's about when I'm going to check out and start finding other things to do on my Sundays. Because Or Lawrence Cager comes back. Oh, uh, if Lawrence Cager. Tight end, Lawrence Cager. <laughs> That's yeah. when the first episode of draft season is going to drop, guys. Let's be real. <laughs> Jeff Smith takes the field. Oh, my God. Well, uh, we talked a lot about offensive linemen, and obviously you have, kind of have an opinion that a lot of guys are going to get overdrafted. But who's an offensive lineman outside of the first two days that you're very high on? Will it be Cam Jurgens if he somehow is sitting there? Because you'll make Michael Megan very happy if that's the answer you have. Uh, No, I don't think I don't want to say him for outside the first two days. I think he's going to go early. I I think for me, two that are like, it's always funny when you get this question, because like you're talking about a player that has like almost like that's like a 3% chance of being a good NFL player at that point. But it's for me, I like Spencer Burford a lot from UTSA. He was uh, their first four star recruit they ever got because he was a local guy. And it feels like he just didn't develop there as much as he would have at a higher caliber program. He was a guard for two years, then left tackle for two. Uh, I think he's a guard at the next level. So I think Burford, somebody on day three that that has a lot of potential and could be a nice drafting stash. Kind of what they thought with Cam Clark that year, and unfortunately Clark had to retire because of injury, but the same process. And then one that's just like so truly ridiculous is William Dunkel from San Diego State. I don't know if you guys have watched this human 
Um, it, it's it's top three run blocking film in the entire draft. Now that doesn't mean he's like a he's a first rounder. He's probably not going in the first three days, but he is a zone bully. Like it's just a rolling boulder in terms of. I think PFF had him as a 99 run blocking grade. And like when you turn on the tape and like look at the impact blocking, you're just like, this guy destroys people. He plays kind of with that Quentin Nelson edge. Like he he likes to like lay on top of guys and like scream at guys. And he's I think he's gotten kicked out of games for really dumb things. Uh, but William Dunkel, I call him Wild Bill Dunkel. He um he's insane. And he's just you know he'd be kind of like he's kind of like your long term okay, he's getting us by in a pinch. He's going to start this week because our, our starting guard's hurt. We're probably going to run the ball like 75% of the time. He's going to be really good at that. Pass pro, we're in trouble. So he would be the other guy. I can't wait till next week. You just gave Joe Bellick his new uh, love child name to talk about for half the podcast. So I really appreciate that, Connor. That's fine. Um, so now this is a question that I think is more for the fan base to kind of hear so that you can ease their mind a little bit or maybe enrage them. I don't know how, whichever way you take this, but which quarterback do you think they would be logically selling themselves on in this draft class right now? The Jets? Yes. No, the Jets. Exact. This is funny. I haven't been asked this. Um, pick it pretty easily. It's actually an easier question than I, I had to think about it. It would be pick it. It would be timing enough athleticism to cut the field in half you know they it's just their kind of guy it's it's so they're so easy to figure out i knew they were taking zach in like november last year because i was just like this is not very hard to figure out um they care about the ball getting out which to their credit like really does matter like it's for as much as i think all of us love justin fields like it's a big problem that he loads up a bazooka a howitzer and it got him in trouble and it gets him hurt. And like Zach has his own problems. This isn't a crap on Justin Fields time, but that's something to them where they just, they care about the release and the mechanics of the ball. So, so much. Um, Ritter is, that's a huge problem with him. Malik plays a little slow, but I mean, I like, I like Malik the best. And I think Malik will speed that up over time. Uh, where he deserves to, you know, probably get drafted early as he's going to go in a sense of you're betting on the traits. Howell holds the ball a lot, needs to play out of the pocket. It's just this is not a good class. I don't know what you want me to say. It would be Pickett. Yeah, I, I'm happy you didn't say smaller Zach Wilson and Matt Corral. You know, it's a good one to bring up, uh, <laughs> but I, I'll still say Pickett. I think Corral yeah. just has a lot of a lot of questions in terms of staying healthy and, you know, He's going to turn the ball over a lot like Zach did early on. Yeah. He's also, I think he's like Rattler size too, which no one likes to talk about. No, he's, he's, he's not very skinny. Big, yeah. yeah. He's not he's, a big guy at all. He's going to take some shots. Definitely very glad that we didn't end up listening to the part of the fan base and maybe the front office that said. Run it back with Sam. Yeah, Jimmy G would be our quarterback right now if they did that. Which well, I'd rather have that than any of the quarterbacks in this class. So I'm. I'm very happy, though, that we ended up deciding to make that move. But last question for you, Connor, here is where can the people find you? I know you're doing some awesome stuff on Stock Exchange, obviously doing some stuff on Badlands as always. So where can they find you? And then, of course, on social medias as well. Yeah, at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. Um, God, the Internet as a whole these days. Doing stuff with SMY. It's been a lot of fun. Badlands with Joe. Uh, PFF with Stock Exchange, and then my where I actually work full time, Bleacher Report. It's funny I always forget to mention that one, but we'll be live all three days of the draft as we always are. So I can't wait. It's you know it's what we do this for, right? It's it's like uh, it's like prepping for the test of your life. 
every single year at this point. And then it's like, okay, well now I have to prep again. So it's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to it and you know, I'm ready to go. So, and, and we'll see where it goes after this year, but it's been a lot of fun and I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Connor, thanks so much for coming on. We know you're a really busy guy and uh, thank you for coming out the time for us. You really, I think are going to light a lot of Jeff fans with this podcast. And hopefully not make too many of that mad. <laughs> I, it's all just, yeah. As long as they're not angry at me, and even if they are, it's, I could take it. Like I've been doing this long enough now where like I, no tweet phases me anymore. Um, you know, sometimes I can't, I don't have the energy every day. So I apologize to them. I can't always explain like the rationale behind everything. I'm like, just listen to the pod. It's not 280 characters or whatever it is these days. Just to justify it. Amen to that. Connor. Thanks again, man, for coming on. It was awesome. No problem guys. Anytime. Hey, it was a pleasure to listen to you. All right, dudes. Have a good one. Alrighty. So that was Connor. Thank him so much again for giving us the time. And I know Dylan, we're going to have some takeaways and, you know, you got to ask me a quick fire question. So I gotta say, what was your biggest takeaway from what Connor said? And, you know, I just want to point this out that someone last week floated uh, offensive tackle at four edge at 10 packaging, two picks to come up to get that receiver. And he was left at, and now it seems like it's becoming consensus on uh, Jets Twitter. So I'll let you bite on that, Dylan. Uh, I I definitely would say my biggest takeaway was one that I hope uh, I hope Joe Bellick listened to was his love about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau because I think uh, I definitely trust Connor Rogers' brain a lot. Not saying I don't trust yours, Joe, but I think uh, his take on Kayvon was really good. But I think his explanation for Jermaine or for Jermaine Johnson definitely helped move me more on the I can definitely rationalize if we end up getting him because obviously you're not you're counting on him to be consistent sack producer and probably outproduce cave on year one, which was something I really liked that he said. And then yes, Meeks, he did say that getting the receiver and checking off all those boxes in the first round is a realistic possibility and something you should do. So I'll give you your credit where credit's due. I'll give you your flowers. Would I still be happy? It can be Drake London guys. And I'm not against him. I'm just worried. Joe Douglas just likes speed too much. If they can I do want, that, I, I, if they you know? can do that and still get Linderbaum at 35, then too, I, yep. I'll walk out of those two days. I won't even put the draft on the rest of the way. I'd be ecstatic. Yeah. So. We can all get what we want. That's all. Yeah. That's, you know, it's kumbaya. It's all it can I be a see. happy. It can be a happy post draft podcast when we exactly. do it. It doesn't yeah. have to be the mad one. Meeks, nobody Joe, laughed. Nobody, one. nobody laughed at you last week. We we're just kind of like, you know, we have some picks. A good wide receiver is going to fall to the second round potentially. A lot of guys who were the first round could end up in the second round. That's kind of what the narrative was. And then at the end, I kind of said, listen, if somebody like Drake London was there, I would definitely have to consider moving up. There's no question. I just don't believe Drake London is going to be there. I think the only player who might be there is Traylon Burks. Now, Traylon Burks is a wide receiver I would potentially move up for. But I'm not moving up for anybody else. The only guys I really would move up for are Burks, London, Garrett Wilson, if he fell. All these other guys, like I love Alave, but I'm not moving up for him. I'm not moving up for Dotson. I'm not moving up for Jamison Williams either. I know a lot of people love him, but coming off that ACL injury, I'm a little scared of Jamison Williams. So if he falls to me in the second round, I think that would be the ideal situation because like Jamison Williams isn't going to be in my top five wide receivers, but he is going to be in my top five wide receiver fits for the Jets. I think he is a perfect fit for the Jets. I mean, you get this guy the ball in space and he does magical things. So at, in the end, Plan Meigs is in full effect. We have to give you some credit. Charles Morrison dubbed it Plan Meigs. Yeah, so Plan Meigs. Credit yeah, for that. Trending. And I think it is a smart move. You know, the more I think about it, if you could come out of this draft with somebody like, say it is Aquanu, and then Jermaine Johnson, and then Burks, and then you have a pick in the second round that ends up being Daxton Hill or something like that, that would be a ridiculous draft. That's a five-egg plant draft, Joe. That is a five-egg plant draft, my friend, 100%. So I'm, full, I'm, I'm definitely on board. I think that's exactly what they need to 
do. And I think it's going to pretty much satisfy every pick. Like I think every Jets fan can be happy with that because we're pretty much checking every single box when it comes to the needs on this roster. So we'll see what happens. Um, as far as everything that Connor said, man, I think it was awesome having Connor on. I think he really kind of, you know, gave us some, some really great draft nuggets. And I love what he said about the running backs. I am so a little concerned about if they don't address it in free agency. I like, I like Pierce as well. I feel like he's maybe a little bit more of a, an inside zone runner, downhill runner. So I don't know if I could ever see him being like that one a, maybe I still kind of see him as more of that one B uh, we'll see what happens at running back. Because like I said, I feel like this team isn't going anywhere if they don't run the ball. And like, we are not really talking that much about it. I've tried to bring it up a couple of times on the pod and hopefully the Jets start talking about it in the front office too, because as of now, it looks like things have been fairly quiet. I mean, if they can get a Melvin Gordon, that would be ridiculous. I mean, you have so much flexibility going into the draft and maybe you draft a guy on day three who could take over that role eventually. Somebody who could, uh, you know, be the understudy, right? And then uh, eventually we could be like that. And I'm glad he called Michael Carter the 1B because that's exactly kind of how we see him. I know a lot of people think he could be the 1A and he does have that potential, right? But it's like what Connor said, he doesn't really have the body right now for the, or, or it seems like he doesn't have the body for the NFL. He's getting nicked up. He's missing some time and they have to find a way to protect them. So hopefully that's rectified and the Jets are a dynamic running team because that's what it's going to take, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I def- definitely, when you look at how the AFC has just got all these fire uh, breathing quarterbacks and how every team is just it's basically an arms race and, you know, Jets going to have win games by controlling the clock and running the ball. Um, I really point that I thought Connor was really good about the running backs was just needing a guy who they don't have that guy who's good in pass protection who can just make those smart plays and really just help Zach out back there and that's why getting a guy like Melvin Gordon having that veteran you know can know that role would be big and that's why I like guys like Algier and Pierce because I know like Tyler Algier you can definitely tell that guy also played linebacker in college based on the way how he pass protects and how strong he is and how physical he is based like adding like mini James Connor to the team which I'd be a big fan of because I like actual James Connor but uh I thought the most interesting he did was actually in regards to Thibodeau and actually paint a picture of why someone would prefer a Jermaine Johnson because Aiden Hutchinson came on Thibodeau. I always thought was very like they're one and two players in the draft for me. I think they're both very good and I can understand why people took, you know, Hutchinson ahead of Thibodeau and then Jermaine Johnson, I think before the senior bowl was like a fringe round one guy who'd be a great pick in the top of the second, maybe if trade back into the first round to get. And now he's become a consensus top 10 prospect with all his testing with the senior bowl, his performance. And you really just see like edge is a position where it takes guys a couple of years to figure out their pass rush plan, really become polished. And like Carl Lawson, I think is the perfect example of that. Like Carl Lawson, when he came into the league out of Auburn, wasn't as technical as he is now. And betting on those guys to get have that like slow burn rise, you know, I don't know how smart that is. Jermaine Johnson's just a proven ready player. Is he going to be a 20 sack guy? I don't know. But if he gets 12 sacks four of his first six years, that's worth the fourth overall pick in the draft for me. I know he can defend the run. I know he's going to have a plan. I know he works hard. And I know that you can get really creative with, this entire defensive line. And that's why Jermaine Johnson at four, something I was initially hesitant to, but could seal off myself into, but I really do think that'd be a wise investment if they went that way. And if you get him at 10, even better. So Meigs, are we leaning Jermaine Johnson right now with Thibodeau? What's going on? Uh, no, Thibodeau is, like, well, we'll just, is so just do it. Just do it. I don't at... think it's malpractice to not take him. So he's edge two for you right now. Is that what it is? Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's edge two. What are you talking about? Oh, Aiden Hutchinson is an edge one for you? He's never been edge one. <laughs> you know this. 
I'll just play it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I will say, Joe, I will say, Joe, I know last week I went head to head with you about this, but I've warmed up to the idea of Jermaine Johnson simply because it was something we talked about about Thibodeau that I argued that you take the potential in this case and hope that this coaching staff is competent enough to develop Thibodeau into everything he can be. Cause I think everything he can be is a higher tier than Jermaine Johnson. But honestly, the same reason that James and I haven't had a proven edge rusher in our lifetimes that we can really talk about is because they've done that. They've taken those swings and guys hitting their full potential and it hasn't always worked. So yeah, I, I wouldn't put Jermaine above, KT in my edge rankings, but I'm definitely more on board for him at four and then grabbing a receiver at 10 now than I have been at any point in this pre-draft process. And, uh, you know, another great episode of draft season, guys. You know, really appreciate Connor coming on. We had a nice discourse. I feel like, you know, this podcast started, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of, you know, discontent, a lot of arguing, a lot of polarizing opinions, but I feel like we're all coming together, you know, but what we want for the Jets and the best way about going for them. Hopefully we're all happy on draft night. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the TOJ pod. Make sure you subscribe to Badlands and uh, we'll see you next week.